Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast. Now, for almost two years, the podcast has been sponsored by Collabra, which was amazing. They helped me find a wonderful set of guests. They helped me defray the cost of production, and that's really much appreciated. It, it's uh, surprising what it takes to do this. Now, they're undergoing a few changes, and in their restructuring, it doesn't include sponsoring podcasts, which is fine. Um, it happens. So I urge you to please check out their products, sign up for a free trial, and eventually become a paid subscriber if it suits your laboratory's needs. So they'll still be around, and as far as I can tell, uh, they'll continue to provide uh, their exceptional products and service. So check out Collabra.app and uh, see how their products fit for you. Now, this work is not a product of the University of Florida, and while I feel it should be, it would be an excellent example of university extension. They've really demanded that I keep it separate, so I disagree. I think, you know, that's they have tremendous resources in terms of uh, computational storage and, and production potential. So many things they could do, but um, we're going to keep it separate. So that means that there's uh, an opportunity to continue some sort of sponsorship arrangement. So if you'd like to place your product and service in front of 25,000 monthly downloads, send me a note. Um, there's marketing folks that contact me that say this vehicle has significant monetization potential. There's affiliate marketing programs that I could enroll in and, and people constantly saying, you're not getting the potential out of this. You're not making money out of it, whatever. But it was never my interest in running ads for blinds galore or Ginsu knives or whatever to generate income. That's never been the mission of this podcast. It's about sharing science and cool stories. On the other hand, server space, bandwidth, associated website hosting, all these things, they cost a few bucks, and I'd like to just break even. <laughs> um, plus, I, I dedicate four to six hours a week to this, believe it or not, and a little something for that. It does help me justify the time in front of a computer at 4 a.m. on Friday when I'm hammering this thing out for Saturday release. And uh, I got, you know, personal life and professional life tugging me on all directions. And it does help uh, justify the time spent on, on the activity. You know, it's not just, you know, just not just a hobby that I'm doing here. So I don't want to do Patreon or paid subscriptions. It's too important to make this freely available. And at the same time, I'm getting emails all, like like a several a day where uh, folks are urging me to consider different guests. So different companies contacting me saying, you know, interview me, interview me. And um, so it's clear this podcast has reach and value that, um, that I'm not tapping. Um, I think most folks would say that when you have an eight and a half year old uh, weekly vehicle that's uh, that's downloaded as much as this, that there's value to that. Uh, I think it's reasonable to try to find another sponsor who can help out or a series of sponsors. You know, if we could split this four ways between four different companies that could put a cool product of interest in front of the uh, folks who listen here, I think it would be um, a good opportunity for everybody. So <clears throat> I love win-wins. Let's go out and create one and um, we can make that happen. Uh, we have a wonderful listenership of science enthusiasts, and I think it's uh, it, their loyalty and, well, I should say your loyalty, your listening, 
uh, and uh, enthusiasm towards the podcast have always been very appreciated. And I think it's a good opportunity for for us to take it to the next level. You know, maybe do a little something a little different. Maybe you know, change up again. It always gets better, and I think it's a great opportunity to. Uh, partner up with some folks and let's do something big. Let's do something better and continue to be even uh, more penetrant in sharing the coolest new technologies. So with that, I will turn this over to today's interview with Dr. Juliet Williams from Chimera. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you for considering opportunities with the Talking Biotech Podcast. And today our guest is Dr. Juliette Williams. She's the head of research at Chimera Therapeutics. Welcome to the podcast, Juliet. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining us here today because it's one of my favorite topics is uh, protein degradation, targeted protein degradation. And I see that Chimera's mission, it's really focused on developing uh, protein degradation technology to target specific diseases and, and pathways that haven't currently been addressed. And so could you tell me a little bit about how targeted protein degradation works in the body? Yes, of course. So first of all, I'll just describe really how it's a natural system. So each cell in our body has a natural way of eliminating unwanted proteins. In our cells, there are proteins called E3 ligases. And these E3 ligases selectively tag proteins in the cell that we want to remove, such as misfolded or accumulated proteins. And what it does is it tags them with ubiquitin. So this ubiquitin tag is recognized by the cell's recycling system. So these selective unwanted proteins are recognized by a complex called proteasome where the protein is chopped up and removed. So in targeted protein degradation, what we do is engage this natural protein recycling system by selectively eliminating disease-causing proteins. So ultimately, we address the root cause of the disease. So we can do this, for example, by using heterobifunctional molecules, so with heterobifunctional molecules, one side of the molecule binds to the protein of interest, the protein we're trying to eliminate. And this is joined by a linker to the other side of the molecule, which binds to an E3 ligase. Therefore, this heterobifunctional molecule brings the E3 ligase in close proximity to the protein of interest. It ubiquinates it, i.e. it tags it, and then it goes to the proteasome for, to be destroyed. And we can also create other molecules, and these molecules are called molecular glue degraders, and they act as the name describes, by gluing two proteins together. The molecular glues have greater affinities when the E3 ligase and the protein of interest are together. So the molecular glues don't bind the E3 ligase independently. The protein of interest has to be present and vice versa. 
So usually there's some very weak interaction between the protein of interest and the E3 ligase. So the glue molecule enhances that interaction. So degrading proteins with heterobifunctionals and molecular glues, it's very exciting. It really opens up the possibilities of a whole plethora of proteins that have never been targeted by any other modality. Yeah, this is really exciting. I understand what's going on here. And I think that we really underestimate how important this kind of approach can be. So uh, just for the listeners who maybe are not real experts in the biochemistry of ubiquitination, ubiquitin is just a small little molecule. Uh, it's like whatever, 67 amino acids long. It's a small little string of amino acids that is essentially a tag that gets added to a protein that says, send me to the garbage can. And the cellular garbage can is this thing called a proteasome, which is essentially recycles the protein back into its component parts. And so if, as, as I'm understanding this process, the uh, little linker, this uh, this linker that you called a heterodomain linker or something, um, has the ability to uh, link a protein to be degraded with the machine that tags it with a little higher affinity than what happens naturally. Is that correct? Yeah, so there's kind of two processes there that I'm describing. One's with the heterobifunctionals. So that's a very, very artificial way of bringing a protein that we're interested in degrading with an E3 ligase that it would never naturally bump into or be tagged by. And then we have the molecular glues where we have our E3 ligase and we have our protein of interest. There's usually a small interaction, but again, wouldn't typically be ubiquinated by that. But because we have a molecule that glues them together, that again brings that E3 in proximity with that protein of interest and degrades it. So we choose, we can choose the proteins of interest that we go after and we force it together with an E3 to ubiquitinate it and send it for destruction. It always seemed rather interesting to me from a cellular economy standpoint, because it seems like a waste of materials to degrade the things that you spent so much time making through transcription and translation and, and, and accumulating these proteins. So why is targeted specific degradation of proteins so important in terms of cellular biology? Yeah, so in the natural system, the cell will often make misfolded proteins or too much protein. And that's one way that the protein can be eliminated. It's really about homeostasis in a cell, keeping everything in balance. Yeah, and then for us, it's really about understanding the proteins that we want to degrade, proteins that are causing disease, and then just hijacking, if you like, this machinery to enable that. And I know there's a number of diseases that are caused by breakdowns in proper turnover of proteins. Um, what are some of the ones that Chimera is either looking at or ones that would benefit from targeted degradation approach? Yes, yeah, so there are diseases where you can have a buildup of protein, which causes disease. And we can go after those particular disease areas or indications. But the beauty of degraders, using degraders, is that we can go after any protein that's causing disease. So it doesn't actually have to be a misregulation of a protein. It can just be 
any protein which is causing disease, whether it's a small mutation, whether it's amplification of a protein, whether it's just a protein in a signaling pathway that we want to tackle because we want to inhibit, block that signaling pathway. We can, we can, we can basically go after any disease, it's disease agnostic, and we're just looking for pathways and proteins that cause disease that we want to interfere with and inhibit and block. So it and doesn't have to be a disease or a protein that is accumulating. I see. Are there any specifics that are uh, really exciting and on the horizon right now? Like any, any good targets for specific diseases that really avail themselves well to this technology? So... Really, when we think about targets that we want to go after for protein degradation, we think about several different areas. So one of those areas is that we can drug the undrugged. Another area which I can also talk about is we can drug the inadequately drugged. And then another area is that by using tissues specifically expressed or restricted E3 ligases, we can enable selective degradation in the body to create a better therapeutic index. And I can talk about these a little more. So being able to drug the undrug really opens up a whole target space. So small molecule inhibitors are restricted because they have to target proteins which have well-defined functional sites and do that selectively. And that really narrows the number of proteins you can target with small molecule inhibitors. Now, as heterobifunctionals can bind anywhere on the protein, not necessarily in the functional site, we have more of an opportunity to find ligands and selective ligands for particular proteins to create drugs. And if the protein is disordered like spaghetti, which lends itself not to be liganded, then we can go the molecular glue route. So this also opens up more opportunities and a larger protein or target space. And then in addition to the undrugged, Degraders can be a solution to what we call the inadequately drugged. So this could be where we have proteins, where we have biology that extends beyond inhibiting the functional site. For example, if there's a scaffolding function on the protein, we can harness that additional biology and create a more effective drug. And also because degraders are catalytic, they're not occupancy-based like small molecule inhibitors. We can get really extremely potent molecules. They're usually low, low nanomolar or picomolar. And our superior pharmacology then often enables us to completely block disease pathways, really phenocopying what we see with antibodies rather than small molecules. But remember, you know, these protein degraders have the power of a genetic like knockdown or knockout, again with the flexibility of small molecule inhibitors, such as in drug discovery, development, and commercialization. We can make pills where you know we can get away from these antibodies where you have to have injectable medicines. 
And then lastly, you know, as I touched on, another aspect of protein degradation is that there are so many E3 ligases. There are over 600 E3 ligases. So we're just at the tip, you know, of the iceberg in learning how we can harness uh, being able to use these degraders. Uh, so today, most companies are using Cerebron and DHL, but there are also E3s that are expressed just in disease, and there are E3s that are absent of common tissues which undergo toxicities to many drugs. So we can, again, enable a better TI. Um, and here at Chimera, we've profiled where these different E3s are expressed in the body and also in disease states. So you know, we can use this to pick and choose which E3s to use depending on the disease that we want to go for. Yeah, and that was really my next question because does it are there specific E3s that now you are marrying to their degradation target, or was this something that was just promiscuously taking a, a target through this hetero bifunctional domain and attaching it to any E3 because they all do have some commonalities? So it, it is specific, right? You're you're sending the, a given target to its specific E3 inside the cell. So we we have um, several heterobifunctional degraders in the clinic, and we've also got an upcoming preclinical pipeline. Uh, the preclinical pipeline, we're poised to deliver DCs and IDs, um, especially in immunology. Our very early preclinical pipeline is disease agnostic, as I described earlier. Earlier, this is really a technology that is um, poised to be disease agnostic. And we go for very well validated disease targets. And when we say very well validated, very well credentialed, these targets, pathways have been clinically validated or there's very strong genetic validation. In addition, we go for therapeutic areas that affect large numbers of patients of course, where we believe TPD is the best or only option to transform the standard of care in those areas. So our molecules which degrade IRAC4 are in the clinic. By degrading IRAC4, we have an example of the inadequately drugged. So IRAC4 is a protein that has kinase activity, but it also has scaffolding activity. So by degrading IRAC4, we're able to capture the biology of the kinase, but also the biology of the scaffolding function. So it is a key protein of the midisone complex that mediates signaling through R1 and toll-like receptors. And it plays a really crucial role in initiating the immune response against invading pathogens. So eliminating, eliminating IRAC4 completely through degradation, as I said before, impacts both the kinase and scaffolding functions, and so therefore has the potential to achieve this very broad, well-tolerated anti-inflammatory effect. It's really providing a novel therapeutic approach to a variety of immune inflammatory diseases. 
So in our phase one trial, uh, our molecule, which is KT474, has shown evidence of robust IREC4 degradation in the blood and active skin lesions of a couple of diseases. One of those diseases is called hydrogenitis superativa, and that's HS. And then the other disease is atopic dermatitis, or AD. And these patients have seen good effects using this drug and, and well tolerated. And then this particular drug, we're doing this in collaboration with Sanofi. They're collaborating in the development of this molecule and they um, are poised now to initiate phase two clinical trials in both HS and AD. And then another target that we have in our clinical pipeline is STAT3. Now this is a, a transcription factor and it is an example of the undruggable. So many transcriptions have uh, undrugged very, very important proteins. And this is an example of us targeting transcription factors. And so STAT3 is a transcription factor activated through a variety of different cytokines and growth factor receptors by the JAKs. It's also activated through oncogenic fusion proteins and mutations. So certain malignant cells, STAT3 activation is set into overdrive, and it leads to a dampening of immune response, tumor progression, and metastasis. So STATS3 role is a cancer driver and tumor microenvironment modulator has been validated in multiple studies. So it's a strong candidate to target in the treatment of cancer. And then, you know, the other molecule that we have in the clinic is for MDM2. The degraded advantage there is, again, MDM2 small molecule inhibitors inadequately drug this particular protein. And they inadequately drug it because small molecule inhibitors cause a feedback loop. Now, because our degraders are able to get rid of the protein and do so in a catalytic manner, it means that we're able to completely remove MDM2. That leads to stabilization of P53, which is the most common tumor suppressor, and then enable cell death or cell stasis. And we can do this in a very rapid manner. So we initiated phase one trials with KT253, our MDM2 degrader. Um, and we are in uh, progression now in clinical trials um, and we're looking at various cancers. This is uh, a potential agent for any tumor that has P53 wild type. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there, but let me uh, just kind of hit a couple of the highlights. One of the points you mentioned is this catalytic activity rather than a typical drug interaction activity where maybe a small molecule would bind into a active site of an enzyme and limit its activity. Here, by using the catalytic activity or stimulating the, the interaction between target and, uh, and ubiquitin machinery, you're able to continue to reuse 
that system. So it's probably as much more effective. Your therapeutic is more effective at a lower concentration, as you mentioned, nanomolar, picomolar range. And so you're able to give very small amounts of this thing and still get some sort of effect. That's a real positive. The other thing that's of interest is you mentioned um, scaffolds and kinases. And let me just touch on those for the audience. Scaffolds are essentially molecules that can hold um, others together. They serve as a platform for multiple things to come together in uh, in one space and kind of bring together molecules that may benefit from interaction or have some sort of uh, interaction between them. And then uh, kinases, we think of as uh, enzyme activities that move phosph phosphoryl groups that move phosphate around, which is a way to either maybe turn on or in some cases turn off uh, a protein and a biological process it might regulate. And so when we're talking about this in the context of cancer, uh, there was a discussion of P53, which is a tumor suppressor, which is very important and repressed in many different cancers. Um, and so this is just a way to potentially ensure uh, its uh, continued availability to do its job. So I, I just wanted to kind of sum up a little bit about what you had mentioned there because we got into uh, quite a bit of complexity pretty quick in that pipeline. But um, let's take a break here and we'll come back on the other side of the break. We're speaking with Dr. Juliet Williams. She's the head of research at Chimera. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast and we'll be back in just a moment. Here at the Talking Biotech Podcast, we blew past 2 million downloads without much fanfare. It's a cry and shame because such a milestone is something we should have celebrated. Most of all, we thank you for listening. But how can you help the mission? Spread the word, tell a friend, tell some rando, heck, tell somebody you don't really like. The point is, there's many media choices and the Talking Biotech Podcast maintains its listenership and increases its numbers even when there's new high-quality media out there. So thanks for that. And of course, write a review if you haven't done one already. There are still a few Monsanto shill reviews that drag the rating down, so give a little pushback there. And of course, reach out to Fulta if you ever have an interview for a position or an interview with the media. He does some excellent coaching to help you be effective in your communications campaign. Now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Juliet Williams. She's the head of research at Chimera Therapeutics. And we're talking about their innovative ways to link the protein turnover machinery of the cell with specific targets that need to be degraded to eliminate disease states. So let's um, talk about some specifics. If we talk about degraders that are in your pipeline, um, you know, what is a degrader? And how does it fit into resolving potential disease states? Yeah, so a degrader, as we've been discussing before, is able to bring that E3 ligase together with a protein of interest, ubiquitinate it, send it to the proteasome, 
and the proteasome then degrades it. Um, so really when we're thinking about targets, we are interested in targets that are undrugged or inadequately drugged. And what we're trying to do, because this is a new field, is we are trying to choose targets that we believe have little biological and clinical risk. And the choice of the target is very important for the field in general. You know, if we as a field in general choose poor targets that fail in the clinic because they're poor targets, that's going to be associated with the technology. Also, we want to take the technology risk rather than the clinical risk. The clinical risk is more expensive. So we, we're very particular about selection of targets and have a high bar. Um, so we choose highly credentialed targets, which we believe are going to benefit from the removal of the protein. So what do I mean by that? So these are targets with strong genetic associations with functional validation and or clinical validation. So for example, we choose targets in downstream nodes from clinically validated antibodies, for example. So this gives us the opportunity to enable oral drugs. So we've got to remember these heterobifunctionals and the molecular glues, they are small molecules. We can enable oral drugs in places in disease where only currently antibodies serve, and people want to take oral drugs. Uh, one of the questions that I would have in this approach is specificity. So you mentioned that you have a, uh, like, let's say a heterobifunctional molecule that binds very specific to a target, but how do we know it doesn't target or doesn't bind to other potential molecules? Or do you test that? Yes. In fact, when we are looking for and trying to discover a ligand to a certain protein, we make sure that we have other proteins that are very similar, similar family members in the assays when we're trying to find those ligands so that the, if they also hit those very close family members, we eliminate them. So in that way, we're able to find ligands that are very specific. In fact, because we've got the whole protein that we can find a ligand to, that gives us much more chance of getting something selected than if, for example, we have to go for a functional site like a, a kinase, where there's many kinases that have very, very similar kinase sites. Yeah, I guess my big question is in that uh, functional interaction domain, so one side of that bifunctional molecule, how do you design that? And and do you does this computational where you have uh, kind of a predicted secondary structure of the protein itself, and then can maybe identify a potentially interacting domain that you can generate artificially? How does that work? So we really um, put a lot of emphasis on structural biology. We really want to understand the structures of our E3s that we want to ligand, but also our proteins of interest. So we have really cutting edge technologies like cryo-EM and X-ray crystallography to help us understand what sites we may want to go after 
Um, so we have a whole tool book, box of biophysical, biochemical, and, and also biological methods, including high throughput screens to enable us to find these ligands, these specific ligands to a protein to therefore create these heterobifunctional molecules. We also do use machine learning and AI to try and predict from sequences what structures may occur, 3D structures. However, that's just one thing in the toolbox. We use that in conjunction with these technologies like cryo-EM and X-ray crystallography to really understand these proteins and how to target them. It's really a neat approach. It's pretty exciting. And earlier you talked about something that was, I really would like to clarify a little bit more for the for the audience. And you said that it's disease agnostic nature of targeted protein degradation. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean there? Yeah, what I mean is we can do this with any cell type. So we're not limited to one kind of disease or one kind of tissue by delivery, for example, or biological mechanism, for example. We can go anywhere because every cell in the body uses this machinery to tag proteins and destroy proteins. It's very powerful. And so what does the future look like for these technologies? Where are we going? Yes, so we're going to see more E3 ligases being used for this technology. You'll see them as heterobifunctionals. You'll also see them as glues. So as I said before, most companies are using cerebellum-based heterobifunctionals and glues. We're actually, for our glues, prioritizing non-imid and non-cerebellum approaches using ligands to other E3s. And again, as I said before, that really opens up a different protein space. So we're going to see other E3s used in this tissue-specific or tissue-sparing manner. And at the moment, in the TPD space, we see molecules in oncology and immunology. But as we talked about, we're going to see this more in this disease-agnostic fashion. And all this is pretty exciting. And I, you know, I commend the idea of working on things like oncology and immunology. You know, it's high-end stuff. But it seems like there's a huge potential for this in things like designing new antifungals, because it seems very easy to break the metabolism of something like a, a fungal cell, which does contain E3s and, and same kind of machinery. Are you thinking outside of the human sphere? So at the moment, we are just thinking about diseases in human diseases in specific human tissues. You can use this anywhere. Uh, we're really concentrating on populations of largely unmet medical need and, and substantial populations. In theory, you could go anywhere, but this is Chimera's focus. Well, very good. If if listeners wanted to follow you or the company on social media, could you give me some ideas of where they should look? Yes, you can go to LinkedIn for Chimera Therapeutics, and you can go to our website, which is www.chimeratx.com, and that's Chimera with a Y, K. 
K-Y-M-E-R-A-T-X.com. There you go. And make sure that you put in the TX. Otherwise, you go to the powered wave boards. (laughs) 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 I discovered that earlier today. Well, Dr. Juliet Williams, thank you very much for describing this really exciting technology. It's uh, something I'm looking forward to learning more about and hope you'll join us again as breakthroughs occur. Thank you very much. Thank you. And as always, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, Last week, I heard someone speaking about the words chrysalis and crisis. And the two have a lot of overlap because sometimes changes that occur happen at a time when it's unexpected and maybe out of the blue. And we need to rearrange fast. But if we do it smart, we can come out much better on the other side. So as the Talking Biotech Podcast enters into Uh, We're heading towards its 10th year, you know, 10th year of actually recording. Uh, We can look at this as a chrysalis moment. How can we rearrange what we do? Do it a little different. Maybe keep it fresh for me and come out the other side a little bit better. More importantly, tell a friend, write a review, do what you can to help spread the word. Or if you know someone who would benefit from their product or service being placed in front of 25,000 enthusiastic, loyal downloads every month, Uh, let me know. The price is ridiculously cheap and any of the companies that have been interviewed on this podcast, uh, it's it's nothing, it would be nothing to them to to sponsor this. So it's a very uh, reasonable ask and something that would really help improve the quality of the podcast. In the long run, I'd love to be able to have a professional developer working on the website and a professional developer working on production and audio quality and all the things that I'm not trained in doing just because it'll be a better quality product. So there we go. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. Thank you for hanging in there with me through 420 episodes and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulton and its guests, and it's not a production of the University of Florida or any of its agents.